guys. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I want to thank Randy Johnson of High Desert Wild Sheep Guides from Utah for coming on and spending time with us and sharing his expertise. He's going to be breaking down the Utah sheep and goat units. Uh, He's going to talk about the ins and outs of each one of those units and which ones to apply for. I want to remind you guys that the draw uh, for Utah can be done online and it is due uh, by March 2nd. Uh, that's coming up here this week. So make sure you don't forget to go online and apply. Um, and I, I just want to thank you guys for your loyal support of my podcast. I want to thank you guys for all the positive uh, feedback and messages and uh, things that I get on my email and on my Instagram uh, direct messaging and through my Facebook page. Uh, Without your support, this podcast wouldn't be possible. I also want to thank my four sponsors, uh, GoHunt.com Insider. Uh, They make the best uh, drawing resource and harvest uh, guide statistics. Uh, And if you're not a member, you need to go join GoHunt.com Insider. Use the J. Scott promo code and you'll get a $50 Uh, Kuyu gift card. I also want to thank Jason Harrison over at Kuyu for stepping up and sponsoring my podcast. I'm excited to announce that we're going to have some uh, great promotional uh, things going on with Kuyu and I want to thank Jason and his staff for supporting my podcast. Also like to thank phonescope.com, Cheston Davis over in Beaver, Utah. Uh, Phonescope makes the best digiscoping uh, adapters on the market. They can take any binocular, any any spotting scope and adapt it to any phone and you can be taking great photos and videos uh, right away. I want to thank Cheston uh, for his support. You can use the JScott16 promo code and get a 10% discount. Also, Cody Nelson and the crew over at the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix, the Optics Authority, uh, if you use the J. Scott promo code, you get 10% off over there with Cody and his guys. So, uh, guys, thanks for your support. Let's get right into it, and don't forget to apply in Utah. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I have Randy Johnson of High Desert Wild Sheep Guides out of Utah. Randy's been on the podcast before, and uh, guys really liked having him on, and I've had a lot of uh, uh, people ask for you to be back on again. Randy, how you doing? I appreciate that. I'm doing great. I had a long hike today. I got away from all the noise and everything that's hectic in society. And so it's it's nice when you can clear your mind. You know, you, you I follow you on Instagram and you do a great job, at, uh, it seems, um, going to all the shows and, 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 you know, being a professional in the industry that you're in and, and taking care of business. Uh, but you also spend a ton of time getting away and hiking and just getting out there and, and whether it's, you know, looking for sheep, looking for goats, looking for big shed horns off a of deer or, um, just, just out hiking and, and using gear. And that's something that I always admire about you. Um, how was your show season? Well, you know, when I go to shows, I don't necessarily set up a booth. I go to see old friends, to see new gear, uh, just renew acquaintances and to see what's going on in the hunting industry. And, uh, the shows were fantastic this year. It seems like the quality and, and the number of vendors and all of the shows just, uh, continues to increase and, 
it, it's it's fun, hectic, but very fun. For sure. And uh, Randy, uh, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? And I believe you're from Marysville, Utah. Uh, explain to them where that is and just give a, a background in case they didn't uh, catch your podcast from before. Well, Marysville is uh, one of those giant cities that you come across in southern Utah that's maybe got five to six hundred people in. Uh, you can you can tell I was uh, being a little facetious with that comment, but it's a wonderful place. Uh, I grew up here. Uh, the only time that I've lived away from this small town is when I uh, was going to college. Uh, it's it's a quiet area. It's in a great part of the state, as I'm very close to all of the national parks. But I also have the uh, the Tusher Mountains are right in my backyard. I can throw a backpack on and go look at goats, bucks, billies. And I'm not too far away from getting into sheep country also. And and so I, I've been in the guiding business for almost 30 years now. And uh, to be honest, I've never done it to earn a living. It's just always been something I, I love. It's my passion. I love meeting people. I love the experiences and the friendships that are established through guiding. And I just believe uh, in this business, if we'll work hard and if we'll give individuals 150% of our effort and do it with honesty and integrity that we're doing our jobs. Yeah, for sure. And you have an outstanding reputation across the board in the, in the guiding industry. But I believe you were a uh, uh, education administrator for many, many years um, uh, before. Well, not before, but uh, quote unquote in your real job, correct? Well, I actually did spend 40 years in, in the educational field, everything from teaching, coaching uh, to being a principal and then I finished my career as superintendent of schools. I enjoyed the relationships, uh, the opportunity to work with with kids and parents. And and early on in my career, when I was in college, I was actually a collegiate baseball player. And kind of funny, uh, my name's Randy Johnson. And so <laughs> people say, they compare me, you know, to the big unit who was about <laughs> six foot 11 and threw a fastball about 100. But I, I could throw a fastball in the 90s, so I, I had some good times. I just didn't go quite as far as he did. Yeah, you know, um, being from Arizona, obviously Randy Johnson, the big unit, is uh, pretty pretty near and dear to a lot of our hearts in, in uh, the, the, the World Series uh, run and all of that that they made, and um, he's sure a legend around here for sure. Um, but you know, you're a legend in the guiding industry as well, being in it for 30 years and, um, you know, you're just known as an all around great guy that, that, uh, brings a lot of integrity to, to the game. And, um, one question I would ask you before we're going to get into talking about Utah sheep and goats and some other things is, um, you know, it, it, it seems, well, how, how do you see with social media, how do you see some of the guiding industry and the hunting industry in, its, in itself? Um, what things would you give advice to, say, 
the younger guy to watch out for this and watch out for that and and maybe some things that you're seeing going on uh, and and I'm assuming that you see something going on that maybe you're you're a little leery of maybe not I'm kind of throwing this question out as a curveball but um what advice could you give to other guides and other hunters out there in relationship to social media and how things are being portrayed uh, in our industry? Well, there's no doubt that social media has, has changed the entire ball game, uh, not only with, with what we do in the guiding hunting industry, but uh, politics, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there are a lot of great, things about social media and then there are some negatives also uh i i think you know if you're going to get into social media you need to do it for the right reasons you need to be positive uh i guess the only reason that i use social media uh, to be honest is i i'm using it to try and pay back to hunting what i feel hunting has given to me over all the years and so when I post, I I use that those opportunities to try and try and teach the younger guides, hunters, outfitters who are out there. Because as you look at social media, uh, you can just be overwhelmed with all of the all of the posts, and you know many of those people are just outstanding individuals. But again. Just like in all aspects of society, there will be those that you better do your research if you're going to, for instance, book with someone who you see a lot of who is posting and using social media. Uh, do your research before you go with them. Make sure that their claims, uh, their pictures, are their hers, etc. I've yeah. I've actually been been told that there are some. Uh, within our guiding outfitting fraternity who buy pictures from other people out there and then they post them on on social media to make it look like they're taking those kind of trophy animals now i don't know whether that's fact or fiction fiction jay but that's what i've been told and i would say that's the dark side of of hunting but if if i had to counsel our young outfitters and and hunters i i recently had the opportunity to do a, a, a interview for Kuyu, and I, I thought Kuyu asked some really, really great questions that uh, that made me think. And uh, I remember they they did ask, "What kind of advice would you give to younger guides, etc.?" And I would just say, "Be." I remember saying, "Be human vacuum cleaners. Learn." everything you can and don't be afraid to work uh, work your butt off and don't be afraid to fail because along the way you're going to fail some but pick out individuals guides in the hunting industry uh, who are well respected and ask them questions and learn from them and don't always trust everyone out there who says they want to be your friend because they they will use you to a certain a certain point and you can get burnt that way i know i've 
I've learned that uh, tough lesson many times, but you do have to trust people until they break that trust. Uh, those are just a few thoughts that I have, Jay. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, that, that comes from a lot of experience there, so I appreciate that. Uh, Randy, I, I wanted to have you on um, to talk to you about the uh, Utah application, big game application uh, season is here. And I believe the regular or the uh, applications are due here on March the 2nd. And uh, you uh, do a lot of sheep hunting and a lot of goat hunting. And I wanted to um, talk to you about breaking down uh, the sheep units and the goat units and, uh, you know, talk a little bit about the units, talk about the quality of animals um, and, and give you a chance to talk about the trend that you see with, with each of those animals. You know, are we, are we trending up as far as numbers? Are we trending up or down as far as, you know, uh, quality of trophies, uh, et cetera. And um, you're the perfect guy to have on to discuss uh, Utah sheep and, and goats. Um, let's, let's probably go ahead and just start with sheep and, uh, break down Utah sheep hunting, uh, both desert and Rocky, if you will. And, um, uh, yeah, give us, give us your overall, uh, you know, breakdown of, of the sheep hunting in Utah. Well, I appreciate that, uh, very much sheep in Utah. Uh, we're not going to have the quality that, our genetics that an Arizona or Nevada would have, or even in New Mexico, and yet we have some incredible sheep op- opportunities here in Utah. For non-residents, there aren't very many of them because last year there was only three tags. However, this year it appears, and we don't know for sure that they're going to raise that to four non-resident tags. When you have 8,000-plus non-resident applicants applying for only four tags, uh, the chances of you drawing aren't very good, but it can happen. And if you do draw, I, I guarantee that Utah can offer some an incredible experience out in the field. You may not, again, get a Boone and Crockett Ram, but you're going to have an incredible experience. And if I'm talking about Utah desert sheep, there's four units uh, that I really like. Uh, the what's called the Caparellus East and Escalani. It's those two units are subunits of the Caparellus, but they will be combined into one tag this year for a non-resident hunter. Uh, the Caparellus East and the Escalani. They're tough, tough areas of our state. Uh, there are, are, are places in those units that you can throw a backpack on and you may not, not get back to your truck for 10 days, depending on if you find your ram or not. Quality of sheep, you can take a ram in the Caparellus East or Escalante that would range in a score from 150, uh, clear up to 170. However, there aren't as many rams on the uh, upper part. As far as score, I, I just I love that particular unit as it is huge and just offers someone who really wants to experience sheep hunting 
at its very best, a great opportunity. Uh, the next unit would be your Kaparowitz West. The Kaparowitz West, there are a lot of sheep on that unit. Again, the score uh, would range in that unit probably from 155. Uh, you might hit 170. Uh, I've had several hunters get rams that were close to that score on the West. It's a little bit easier unit than the Kaparowitz East or the Escalante because there are a lot of old roads in there you can ride your atvs do a lot of glassing and then you've got to be willing to drop off into some big canyons to go after your ram when you find it outstanding unit with some really good genetics uh, from some transplants that came out of nevada uh, probably the the unit that lots of people think is is the best unit in utah would be what we call a Zion unit because of Arizona genetics that were infused many, many years ago into that area. It's one of the more different desert sheep units than you would ever see be, because it has lots of ponderosas. You would look at it and think it was designed more for Rocky Mountain sheep, but it's incredibly beautiful. Yet, uh, is in close proximity to Zion National Park, so you better know your boundary lines and be very careful with that. Quality uh, from 160 to 170, and there have been rams taken off that unit bigger than 170. Uh, many people think that there are 170 rams running all over the place on this unit, but that is not the case. You're going to have to work really, really hard to find one that will hit 170. I, I, there are a lot of rams in the 160 class. Uh, if you were to put in on that unit and draw the one downfall that I see is you're probably going to bump into a lot more hunters. Uh, there are more tags on that unit and it seems like when someone hunts the Zion they bring a lot of friends and relatives with them. And so if you're looking for an experience where you're not going to see uh, other hunters, uh, the Zion won't offer that kind of experience like the Caparillus East or Escalante or even the Westwood. But it is a great unit with uh, great trophy potential for Utah at least. Then the fourth unit uh, that a non-resident could apply for in Utah is called the South San Rafael or North. Uh, on that particular unit, the genetics are true Utah genetics. Sometimes I call those pygmy genetics. The, the <laughs> rams are beautiful. They're beautiful. They have quite a flair to them, but the bases aren't, they're never going to hit 14. You're not going to get a lot of length. And so your scores are going to generally be mid forties. You can find some, some old beautiful rams in there. I, I happened to have a hunter from Idaho in there last year, and we just we just got away from the old mining roads, and we we took off into some incredible scenery, uh, gnarly canyons. We saw a lot of sheep, and he ended up taking a nice ram. We did see an older ram too that might even have hit 155 that we didn't get a shot at. But uh, the South San Rafael 
the odds might be a little better for a non-resident of drawing that one because most non-residents were put in for those first three units that I that I mentioned. But as far as points go on these desert sheep units, Jay, having max points really doesn't seem to have been helping non-residents at all. Uh, for instance, last year, those who drew the three tags last year had 11, seven, and one point. Whoever the gentleman was or, or the gal who drew with one point, boy, they beat the odds. They should have been in Vegas that particular day. So in other words, what you're saying is the listeners out there, um, don't be discouraged that you don't have max. What you're actually saying, uh, Randy, is that, uh, you know, ones, what'd you say? One, seven and four. Yes. 11, seven and four, uh, 11, seven and one point last year. Someone drew a tag last year had only put in for the first time. Oh my goodness. So as a non-resident, you think you've got no shot, but you actually, you know, with what you just said, you actually absolutely need to be applying uh, because you never know when it's going to be your time. Uh, absolutely. Don't, with sheep in Utah, don't be discouraged if you don't have max points. Uh, people are drawing with a lot less than max points on the sheep. It just depends on whether you're lucky. And the only way you're going to find out is, you know, throw your name in the hat. It's not that expensive to apply. For sure. Now let's talk about residents of Utah that will be listening to this podcast. How do your picks uh, or or breaking down the units, you know, if you were to t take the top four or five units as a resident, um, what other units would you add in there for, for their opportunities? I, I would not uh, add any more units than these four. There are some other units. Uh, I wouldn't really consider them to be quality units. Uh, there are two other units that I would throw into this mix, I guess, that someone should look at. One is the Dirty Devil unit. Uh, just it can be a, an incredible experience. Uh, incredible canyons. Uh, it can really make you bust your butt to get in there. Uh, last year, we actually took a ram off the Dirty Devil that was 12 years old, scored close to 160. It's had some problems with disease, but if someone really wants a, a a quality experience that's one they a, a resident if they could draw I, I love the unit and the other one we call the little rockies are it may even be listed as the henry mountains on the proclamation there's some areas in there that you can get off the beaten bath and path and find a a very nice ram in that 155 up to 165 caliber with some luck okay um, and the, the sheep are those sheep Nelson. I, um, you know, are they, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes, they are. Okay. And how long have sheep tags been available in the state of Utah? Desert sheep. Boy, that, that goes back a, a long ways. I, I believe some of the original transplants, Jay, in Utah were as far back as, 
1978, and they probably started issuing a few tags in the late 80s. I would have, I'd have to research that, but I would guess there were a few tags issued at that time. And Utah, uh, the number of tags, it, it has been, it had been increasing every year for a long time. And then we did have a few units that uh, got some disease, had some problems with predators, and they had to reduce tags. But we, we're still holding around uh, 35 to 40 tags uh, each year. And, and for Utah, that's, that's doing quite well. What do you think about the Pine Valley unit? Oh, I missed that. Darn, I appreciate you reminding me on that. Pine Valley is is a great unit. I can't believe that I missed that one. Uh, maybe I, I didn't mention that because I'm holding out so that some of my <laughs> friends can go <drone> that. <laughs> you, you know how odds get skewed. Uh, uh, but no, I just forgot to mention that. Pine Valley is a great unit because it has your Arizona genetics that uh, come across from 13... 13A, I think it is, 13A, 13B. Yeah, 13B. Uh, they, they also uh, transplanted some sheep out of the Zion uh, two or three years ago into an area of Pine Valley, and those sheep will be getting to the point uh, where they're trophy caliber. Uh, if, if someone can draw that, it's tough to draw that unit, but if someone can draw it, there's some real potential to take a possible 170 caliber ram. Uh, I had a resident hunter two years ago, took a 168, just a, a beautiful sheep for Utah in that unit. And it's, it's a fairly easy unit in many ways to, to hunt. Uh, you can drive back into St. George instead of motel if you chose to, but I would rather stay out on the mountain. For sure. Out of all these there uh, available to residents and non-residents, um, out of all the units, which one would you say is probably the, the worst for numbers of sheep, worst for quality, and just kind of the dog unit of, of, of the whole state? I, I know you probably have so much respect for the animals, you don't even want to say that. But of all the units, what, which which one or two are the kind of the worst of the worst? Uh, your North San Rafael still hasn't recovered uh, from some disease that it had. It's still struggling, and your your San Juan uh, units have been struggling a little. Uh, again, they they had some disease down there. They They've been putting some transplants in, hoping to get that unit back up because at one time it was producing some really good rams. I, I'd be careful about the north. Uh, I would be careful with the San Juan, although you can still take a good ram down there. Another unit would be the potash. Uh, potash has quite a few sheep in it, but the quality... Uh, in that area generally isn't as good as the other units. Okay. Uh, you know, one thing I look forward to you uh, to getting from you is I'm on your uh, newsletter. Uh, you send out kind of an email to you. You have a, a group of, of, of friends and clients and, and acquaintances um, 
and it's always great to get your uh, email, uh, you know, breaking down the hunts that you've just been on. And one of the things that I like about about it is you can really tell that you're into it way more for the experience and the relationship, uh, not like shooting a trophy and the size of a trophy isn't of utmost importance but it's clear and evident in those emails that I get how important the story is how important you know um, the relationship is with the hunter and and it seems like it, there's always some sort of backstory of you know m- maybe you know someone shooting an animal you know with 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 their relatives passed down rifle or or you know just something where there's there's more to it than just a you know a trophy photo and um, I think that speaks a lot to the kind of guy you are and uh, how long have you been doing that email um, I don't know what you would call it. I guess it's a high uh, email email highlight uh, that you send out I just uh, I just call it my personal hunters list serve and I've probably been doing that now for 15 years. I just started sending out pictures and stories to friends because they wanted to know what I was doing and what was going on. And I kept getting requests from people from actually all over the U.S. and and the world to be included on that. So there are many individuals I don't even know who have requested to have their email added. And... I, I, again, I use it to share stories. I'll, I'll have a, a father, say, in Southern California, whose son just went on his first, uh, let's say, uh, wild boar hunt and took his first first animal, and he sends me a picture, and, and the young man or young lady is, is just so excited and smiling with a, with a picture with their first animal, and I use it to try and promote our hunting heritage and stress the importance of passing that hunting heritage on to our youth. And I also use it as an opportunity to try and teach ethics. Uh, All of us would like to take the biggest animal out there on the mountain. Points, yeah, points are important, but again, it's that that experience with good friends and and good people and i just i share those stories i talk some about uh, getting physically prepared for a hunt the mental aspects i share a lot of uh, personal thoughts when i when i feel it's appropriate to try and teach and uh, i've enjoyed doing it Uh, a lot of people have encouraged me to turn it into a blog etc etc you know where i would make a little money off of it but i never started it for that i started it to pay back to hunting and to share with other huntings what uh what hunting has given me and and that's what i use it for and so i appreciate the fact that people out there have enjoyed what i do with it i i don't post something every day or every week but when when appropriate, when someone shares a story with me, and they do want a, a picture of their trophy animal shared, uh, 
and they say it's okay to do it, then I will share and talk about that experience in, in this, uh, on my hunter's list serve. Yeah, you do a great job with that for sure. I, I look forward to getting it every time I see your name on my email. It's, it's, uh, it makes me smile. Uh, Randy, let's talk about Rocky Mountain bighorns. Um, and, uh, I guess first the non-resident opportunities, uh, Although they're slim, uh, let's talk about the units uh, for non-residents uh, in Utah for, for Rockies. Well, sure. And, and again, with Rockies, the draw, the draw tags are, it, it's tough. There were almost 8,000 non-resident applicants last year for three tags. And uh, there are three units that non-residents can apply for this year. Uh, They've changed the name of one of them to the Nine Mile Range Creek or Gray Canyon unit. Uh, rams on that unit range from 160 to 170. However, there have been some rams in the past taken off that unit that scored above 180. And every once in a while, you'll get some rams that will hit the mid 70s. So there, there is some good trophy potential. Uh, you know, I also think on that particular unit, if a non-resident wants to get off the beaten path, they might find that ram that's going to break the 170 mark. Randy, this is um, let me let me double check my work here real fast. Um, you bet. I am looking at the GoHunt Insider. GoHunt.com Insider is a sponsor of my podcast, and they have. Uh, draw odds and where they tell the numbers of applications and tags drawn and I'm looking at this uh, nine mile range creek uh, for non-residents believe it or not in 2016 the only person that drew had one point so the not there's one non-resident tag and he had one bonus point that's that's amazing and, and it just it, it reiterates what we were saying earlier it does pay to throw your hat in the ring it's yeah it's not that expensive and you could be one of those who luck out and draw and and just to be clear um randy in uh utah you can apply for desert and you can apply for rockies it, 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 meaning mm -hmm. in arizona uh, you just apply for sheep and you can mix Rockies and desert, but in Utah, it is separate. So you can apply for desert and for Rockies both. That's absolutely true. And so that's a uh, very advantageous uh, opportunity for a non-resident hunter. Yeah. And, and, and this perfect example of, you know, nine mile range Creek is one of the best units for Rockies and somebody drew with one bonus point. So, I mean, anybody out there that says, oh, you know, it's, it takes too many points. It's a points game. I mean, that just goes to show right there that, you know, one bonus point, that's nothing. That's, that's the guy's, you know, he put in one year and didn't draw. So it gave him a bonus point. So literally the second year he put in, he drew or she. Exactly. And that's, I think that's great. And, um, now that, that nine mile range Creek, from what I understand, used to be the best unit in the state, but I hear that maybe it's kind of fallen back a little bit and it's not, not the clear best unit in the state. 
I still think it's the best unit in the state. That's my personal opinion. It's it's had a few issues. They're still trying to figure out what that is. But I had friends in there this last year who had great experience and took some some big rams. Uh, uh, I think the book Cliff South, which is the second unit available for non-residents, has fallen a little more than Nine Mile Range Creek. At least that's my personal opinion. And the South Book Cliffs unit is still a, an excellent unit uh, with sheep again ranging from 160 to 170, but you can find rams in there that could hit your mid-70s or better, especially if if you want to get off the beaten path, uh, I did, I happened to have a hunter in there last year. He was from back east, and he had had a few health problems. He was 72 years old, but his sons came to help him, and we got off the beaten path, and he got a really nice ram in the mid-60s. It's a fun unit, uh, and as a non-resident, I wouldn't hesitate to put in on there. The third unit, Jay, they could put in on is called the Box Elder or Newfoundland Mountains. And on that particular unit, the sheep are California bighorns. Uh, a lot of them were, tra- were transplanted from uh, oh, Antelope Island in northern Utah. Lots of sheep out there. Again, quality, 150 to 60. Uh, the mountain range itself is not very big. You're going to see a lot of sheep if you happen to draw that tag. And then, um, so that's the three units that non-residents can apply for. Um, how about uh, for uh, residents? Okay, residents on the Nine Mile Range Creek Gray Canyon, they split that unit this year, and the northern part of it they now call Jack Creek. Uh, I think the odds on Jack Creek are going to be a little bit better for residents of drawing than actually on Gray Canyon, and that's because some of the old oil roads that went out onto the big rim towards Jack Creek have been closed down. So access into that area is is much tougher uh, and that scares some of the hunters away uh, because it can be a very physical hunt. Uh, if they don't go in that way, then they're going to have to float uh, the Colorado River. That's another way to hunt that that area. But it has some great trophy potential on that northern part of the unit. Uh, a new unit they opened last year is called the, uh, I believe it's the Avanaquin. Uh, for residents, and I know that one re- quite a really nice ram was taken on there last year. I I think it was maybe 172, 173, maybe 75, and and so that's a possibility for residents also. And when you're looking at uh, sheep hunting for uh, Rockies in Utah, it looks like most of the seasons run from November 1st through the 30th with the exception of that nine mile, uh, the, the range Creek, they split up, uh, in your opinion, would it be, would you see more rutting activity the, the, the second half of the season or the first half, uh, Randy? You'd see a more rutting activity the second half of the season, but I've, I've been in here in there the first of November and <laughs> they have just been rutting like 
crazy, but it seems like more and more sheep from the high country filter down into that range creek uh, as you go on later into November. But it's it's not going to be a bad hunt whether you start the first part of the hunt or the last part of the hunt. Yeah. Out of out of those units um, that the residents can apply for, which would you say, the, you know, a couple that are really, really tough uh, units, kind of like you did with the desert? Uh, boy, that's, that's another tough question. Uh, all of those units you're going to get rams in. I, I don't think any of them are, are just poor units that... Uh, you're not going to have a great experience. So I I really wouldn't say that there's one of those units that's any worse than the other. They're all good, solid units. Okay, fair enough. Uh, now, do you typically do more um, rocky hunts in Utah or more desert hunts on your own personal, you know, guiding we generally would do more desert hunts. The rocky hunts, it seems like, uh, because of the terrain, more of your resident hunters feel like uh, they can do those self-guided, which, you know, we have to appreciate that. And uh, they have friends that can go with them. And so as a general rule, we do more desert hunts, but it's always a privilege and a fun opportunity to get to do a couple of rocky hunts on any of those units when when the opportunity does come up. Okay, uh, Randy, let's talk about uh, goats, Rocky Mountain goats. I know they're they're um, one of your favorites. Uh, I love seeing your pictures on Instagram, and I thought I would tell you. I don't know if I did. Uh, uh, Dara and I applied in Alaska uh, for mountain goat, and uh, we drew. And uh, so we're going uh, uh, this, I guess, third week in August this year coming up. So we're stoked. Uh, neither one of us uh, can even spell mountain goat. So we're pretty excited to go on a new adventure. Well, I'll bet both you learn how to spell mountain goat for <laughs> sure. And you, you are going to have an, an incredible adventure, an incredible experience. And you're going to take some a couple of great trophies. I guarantee it up there. And as I always tell hunters, and you know this also, Jay, the only, when you get your trophy billy down, there's only one way to go, and that's with a full-body mount to do goats justice. I know they're expensive, but they just look in, incredible. And my grandkids, when they come to visit, they'll go up into my trophy room, and they'll look at that full-body goat up there on the wall staring down at them, and it, it always is a con conversation uh, item for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we're excited. I'm kind of uh, trying to learn as much as I can. You know, interesting, I had a Peter, Peter Munich from the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance uh, on the podcast last year, and I actually uh, uh, got, they do a three-year uh, membership deal, and and uh, I signed up for three years, and um, it's funny, the very next year I draw uh, the goat tag, and um, it, yeah, so I'm trying to learn everything that I can about them, and it, it, they're a really neat animal, I can't wait to, um, I've been around a few goats, uh, just hiking around in Colorado and fly, fly fishing some of these high mountain lakes, but uh, 
my experience level is is very very slim uh so let's let's talk about uh your favorite units uh for goat in utah well i appreciate that and it's it's fun to visit about mountain goats in utah a great state for mountain goats and for non-residents as i'm as i looked at uh, the proclamation, it looks like there, there will be eight non-resident tags this year for Billy's plus uh, a new tag for one nanny. And nannies uh, can grow some uh, pretty tall horns also. But what, uh, my favorite unit in the entire state is right in my backyard here on the Beaver. I call them the Tusher Mountains. Uh, it's an incredible unit. Uh, has pr produced some Boone and Crockett billies. There's two non-resident tags, and that is they do have to hunt the early hunt, which is from September 9th to the 24th. And sometimes hunters believe that uh, because the the early hunt starts early in September, that uh, the billies don't have as thick of pelage or hair at that time. But I can, I can tell you that we've taken some big billies on that early hunt that are just beautiful and have haired up really well. Maybe not quite as thick as they would if you were going on the late hunt in October, but I had a young man uh, who drew that tag from North Carolina last year. He only had seven points. And uh, he came out here, and he was in great shape because he had been on a doll sheep hunt in Alaska. But the altitude up there is just, it's a little thin when you're coming out here from somewhere like North Carolina. And he could feel it. He had a headache for a day or two at close to 12,000 feet. But the terrain on the beaver is fairly moderate. I would say for mountain goat country, it's a little bit easier. There are places on that unit that if you get off the roads and beaten path, uh, you can still find a, a trophy billy. Uh, for instance, his billy scored uh, just under Boone and Crockett and had just a monster body. It had to weigh 300 and something pounds. So that, that unit's a special unit in my mind. Uh, then other units non-residents can apply for are, would be in the high Uintas and you have your Hyuinus South Slope, your Hyuinus Chalk Creek Camas, the Hyuinus North and South Slope, and each one of those uh, offers one non-resident tag. And I, I really believe that the Hyuinus offer an incredible experience for a non-resident hunter who wants to get off the beaten path. Uh, we had a hunter from California year before last. Actually, he had bought an auction tag, but we got off of some of those roads, and he ended up taking a uh, a Boone and Crockett billy. And so there, they claim that the biggest billies usually come off your Beaver and Willard Peak. But I can tell you, if you get off the beaten path in the Uintas, uh, you can find some beautiful big goats. And, and so non-residents, there's one tag each on one of those units. And then Willard Peak Ogden is a great unit. Uh, 
it's probably not as tough as the high uinas. It's similar to the beaver unit. And there are new, two non-resident tags on Willard Peak. A great opportunity for a non-resident. And it, that's on the early hunt, Jay, and it looks like there's also one late tag for a non-resident this year. Yeah, I'm looking at and that right the, now. Yeah, I see that. And, the, and there's one late nanny tag on that unit this year. So uh, Willer Peak offers a few more tags for non-residents who choose to apply there. Uh, and I noticed that if they had 17 points on that unit, if a non-resident, that the success rate was 100%, which is, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. It looks like uh 17 points there was one guy that applied and uh one guy drew and then the other tag uh fell to a guy with seven points as at talking about non-residents um willard peak isn't it kind of if if you, if you just ask people what the best unit in utah it seems like forever willard peak was was uh the number one answer but you would say you might argue with that a little bit Oh yes, I would. Uh, yeah, I I still feel like the Beaver and and High winners are every bit as good as Willard Peak. But Willard Peak's a great unit. Don't get me wrong. And if if I was a non-resident, I would look at the odds on all of those units and see where I might have the best chances of drawing. And that's why, not as a non-resident, they need to get onto the DWR website and go down through those draw odds and analyze and do the research. Uh, there's also a non-resident tag offered on the Box Elder Peak, uh, Lone Peak Timpanogos unit. That's an early tag. Uh, isn't known for the quality that's that perhaps the Beaver Willard or the High Uinas would, but it's still a great opportunity to take a a really nice goat, and that's an early tag, it looks like. Randy, there's um, an auction tag, and then there's conservation tags for goats. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of the price range that, you know, the different auction tag and, and conservation permits and what they have trended and what they have sold for over the years? It, it used to be those tags were selling in the low 20s, but the last few years, it seems like all of the auction tags uh, for goats, elk, deer have been going up. And this year, if I remember right, the auction tags uh, for goats went from 28, maybe up as high as 34,000. And each unit gives a specific uh, conservation permit uh, so that you could hunt the beaver. You know, like there's, isn't there one conservation permit per, for the beaver? And then for each of the units, there's a conservation tag. And then there's an auction tag where that guy can hunt all of the units, correct? Exactly. So uh, our mountain goat population is doing very well uh, for the DWR to be able to also offer those other uh, conservation and auction tags. And so there's some great opportunities uh, for hunters who may have been dreaming to go mountain goat hunting and and they put a little money away and 
if they were bidding on at the right auction and the price was right, maybe they could purchase one of those tags and, and have a great experience that way. I'm I'm probably going to do another podcast with you specifically to mountain goats as I get closer and preparing the summer for my hunt and we can talk to you more about it. But a, a general rule of thumb, kind of give me an elementary general rule of thumb of um, when you're looking at a billy, how to determine if it's if it's a billy of quality of, of you know, what do you look for uh, in a quality billy? Well, you know, I'll tell you, goats can be tough, and you better have your spot scope and and get a good, close, uh, long look at them. But your your billies are going to have a, a bigger, more of a blocky body uh, than the nannies. And generally speaking, uh, if it's not during the rut, and generally goats rut in November, at least here in, in Utah, so that's not a problem during your hunting season but they a lot of times your big billies are going to be off alone your nannies and your kids are going to stay together in in bigger groups but your billies will get off by themselves a lot of times especially your big old loner billies and i have seen billies in groups of five six seven but they'll generally also have a quite a dirty butt patch jay and of course, they have a big scent gland that if you're close enough and you get the right angle, right behind the horn, there'll be a big, dark, very prominent scent gland that you can see. Uh, those are some of the things that I look at for billies, and I wouldn't say I'm an expert like probably some of the guides in Alaska who, who chase billies all the time, but that's what I look for. And I've heard guys say, too, you you know, watch for them to, to take a leak and see kind of how they do it. And you can tell if it's a billy or a nanny. Is that another good, good thing? Exactly. The, the billies will uh, stretch out and, instead of squat. That's, that's another characteristic that you, that you should look for. So that, that's a good point also. And normally uh mountain goats are higher than sheep they're like at the highest of highs correct but you know it's funny i uh i know some billies well some goats on the beaver they can be down in the trees as well i mean low well that that's interesting you'd bring that up i found a huge billy last year that was at a at an elevation of six thousand feet and that was the billy we were going to take and then he disappeared on me just before the season, and I still don't know uh, where he went, but he was in low country, and it had to be hot and miserable for that big old guy with, uh, with the heat of the summer, you know, and as his hair started to grow and get thicker. Uh, but it, I, I was amazed that he was in that. It, it was in some really rough cliffs, but it was low down, so... On this particular unit, you can find them from 12,000 feet uh, clear down to uh, 6,000 feet. Yeah, and historically, mountain goats, um, are the mountain goats in Utah fairly docile? And, and are, I mean, do you ever run into them where they're really spooky or are they pretty docile to hunt? They're, 
I wouldn't say they're tame. I, I would say a unit like the Wasatch Mountains, where there are lots and lots of hikers, the goats up there can be quite docile. Uh, the goats on the beaver, there are a lot of goats. It's a, it's a big population. They'll see a lot of ATVs. They can be what I would call dumb at times. But they're, those big old billies that get off by themselves, they're always looking for danger, and, and they can be a little tough making a stock on. That's good stuff. Um, there's a lot of information right there and what you just went over with the sheep and the goats, and I appreciate that. Um, I, I know you love testing gear, and I believe uh, you uh, have a website, I, ireviewgear.com. Um, and I wanted to ask you about, I, I see you had, I read that article in, in, on Kuyu.com and I know you wear Kuyu. Uh, what pieces of gear, uh, do you really like that Kuyu makes? Well, here, here's some of the items that I really like. And, and I, I just think Kuyu is one of the quality companies outdoor hunting companies out there today and and they've just taken it to another level with their their research and it it, it seems like jason and his team are just always looking for cutting edge materials etc which i i really appreciate for uh, mountain hunters if we can go lighter we can go further and we can go longer that's that's how i feel but in my backpack, Jay, there's a couple of items from Kuyu that I never take out. And one of those items would either be the Super Down jacket or the Kenai Synthetic jacket. Uh, both of them are just so light and they are so warm, they're very easy to pack because they compress so small. And I'll have one of those jackets in my pack backpack at all times along with uh, the Kuyu Ultra NX rain gear. Uh, that rain gear again is very light. It does a great job and so if I have it in my backpack I, I don't have to worry about getting out there somewhere and a, a freak thunderstorm comes over. I can hurry and get that light rain gear, that NX rain gear out and, and put it on. So those items always stay in my backpack along with one of the Peloton uh, beanies in case I get stuck out there and have to spend the night. Uh, the other items that I, I really like, I always wear a t-shirt and I'll either wear the Peloton synthetic or the Merino crew t-shirt and I do a lot of tough hiking, and so after I've hiked for for an hour or two on a hunt, your T-shirt is usually quite saturated with sweat, and it's wet, and there's nothing more miserable than to sit down to glass, and you've got a wet T-shirt on, and so I'll just pull those T-shirts off and slip my Super Down or Kenai Synthetic jacket on when I'm glassing and hang the T-shirt up or the long sleeve peloton or a merino well merino wool shirt on a tree and let it dry and i've got that uh super downer kenai jacket on and and i'm warm uh 
something I will do in hot weather that may be a little different than some hunters is I like the merino zip-off bottoms that Kuyu came out with. And so in hot weather, if it's really early in the morning and it's still a little chilly, I'll put those uh, zip-off long johns, basically is what they are, on underneath a pair of hiking shorts. Really comfortable. It doesn't bind you in any way. And so you're, you're protecting your legs from thrashing through the brush, etc. And so in warmer weather, I'll hike with those on. Then if it gets really hot, I'll take those off and just wear shorts. But the other item I'll wear quite a lot in hot weather is the Tiburon pant. I love uh, those pants. Well, they are, they're, they're just outstanding. They outstanding. Stretch. They got pants. the four-way stretch and the air blows through them. At their, with the vent on the sides, they're fantastic. You just can't beat those pants for hunting in Arizona or, say, uh, down in Sonora. And if I'm in uh, the cactus, etc., I'll put a pair of, of the uh, gaiters on the bottom half of those pants to protect them from catching on, on cactus and cat claw and things like that. And that they work really, really good. If, if it's colder weather, I like to wear Kuyu's Alpine pant. And the Alpine has the knee pad in. Uh, some people might think that the knee pad is going to bind their knees, but it doesn't in these Kuyu pants. And I'm always on my knees glassing or crawling in on a stock. And those knee pads have saved my my knees in that alpine pant numerous times. They work well in cold weather. Uh, the other pant I use a lot in cold weather is the guide pant. Just outstanding. Uh, for clothing, that is what I use most of that Kuyu produces. Uh, I love all of it, but when, I, when we're talking about gear, I use the Icon Pro backpack, the 5200, most of the time, unless I'm on an extended backpack trip that'll take me in somewhere for seven to 10 days, and then I'll go to the 7200 to give myself a little more room. But that 3000 cubic inch Icon Pro is a tremendous backpack. If, if you're just going somewhere for a couple of days, it has enough room to even pack an animal out. And so that's one I'm looking closely at, at using on some of my shorter hunts. And the Mountain Star two-man tent, Jay, those guys hit a home run when they came out with that. Uh, you've got, I, lo I love mine, too. It's, it's an awesome tent. And, and I use that two-man for myself because it's light enough to pack and it gives you more room and you have two entryways. One entryway you can cook or put your backpack under and the other one you can use to exit. Uh, that pack, that, that tent's my very favorite. And then I use the 15-degree Superdown sleeping bag almost exclusively, whether I'm in warm or, or cold weather. And if I am in cold weather... And the 15 might not give me quite enough warmth. I'll just slip on the super down uh, pants that Kuyu came out with and climb in the sleeping bag with those on and my uh, super down jacket. And then I sleep warmer. 
Yeah, for sure. One question I have is kind of bouncing back to uh, preparing for this goat hunt. uh, And how do you prepare your feet? You know, what I've been told is going mountain goat hunting, you know, walking in the rocks, that that your feet are going to experience, you know, even more than sheep hunting are going to, you know, get beat up. What what would you give advice as far as preparing your feet uh, for mountain goat hunting? A couple of things that I do from all the years that I've spent on the mountain backpacking, I've developed uh, some neuromas in the balls of my feet, which which is some scar tissue that presses on the nerve, and so my feet get a little tender anymore. But I always use a quality pair of insoles. I'll have a, uh, a good pair of insoles made for me, almost orthotic insoles, because most, most shoe companies, it doesn't matter what boots you, you like, the one area that they shortchange is, is with the footbed. And so get a quality pair of insoles and then do some hiking with some good weight in your backpack in uneven rocky terrain there's nothing better to get your ankles and your feet accustomed to hiking in the kind of goat country you're going to be in than getting out and i I know where you live you know you're in a lower elevation but you still have some rough miserable volcanic rock down there in arizona and i guarantee if if you're out with a heavy backpack in, in that country, your feet are going to get prepared. Good stuff. That's what I do. Good stuff there, uh, Randy. Um, man, I really appreciate, uh, you spending time with us. Uh, I, I, I just got a couple questions and then I'll let you go. I want to ask you about, I want to shift gears just a little bit and ask you about the, deer seasons and the general deer and the limited entry deer one mistake that i've made is i have been applying for limited entry years ago you could only apply for elk or deer and so i was applying for elk and i you know as soon as i was able to apply for both i started applying for deer but i've never applied for general season deer not realizing that I couldn't use my limited entry deer points if I ever wanted to hunt a general deer unit. I understand that I should be applying for general deer and limited entry deer and that non-residents can hunt, actually have better chance to draw these general deer hunts uh, over residents, if, if, if I'm understanding this correctly. And you know, in one or two years, you can pretty much draw any, as a non-resident, any general deer uh, uh, unit in Utah. I just get your thoughts on that. And that's probably true. Most non-residents, they look at those limited entry and, and apply for for those. And of course, your famous Henry Mountains and your Ponsagant, which are as good at as it gets, your Fillmore, Oak Creek, San Juan, Elk Ridge, your, your West Desert Vernon, all of those would be considered trophy limited entry. 
units, but if if I was a non-resident, I would apply for uh, the general season units in, in places, say, like a, a beaver or maybe a Panguitch Lake, uh, perhaps, you know, a, a Pine Valley. I would have to look at which ones they can apply for, but there's some great, great units out there uh, that are producing some pretty big bucks that non-residents uh, should do the research on and, and look at for, for deer here in Utah. But I mean, even if you're just wanting to get out and go deer hunting, I mean, I, I, it never, you know, it never really dawned on me that that, that was an opportunity that I was missing. And, um, you know, I feel like if, if it didn't dawn on me that there's probably a lot of people out there that didn't realize that, you know, some of these general units you can draw with virtually no points. Um, and, and yeah, you're going to have, you know, people and quite a few people around here and there, but. I, I just think there's units if you, you know, get off the beaten path, you can probably find a decent decent buck and get away from some people e- even even with that. Uh definitely and and Utah Utah's deer population has really bounced back. Now northern Utah it, it may digress a little this year because they've just really been hit with some heavy snows. Uh but southern Utah we've had great great moisture content in our higher elevations and yet we haven't had deep deep snow down here in the valley so our deer are going to come through this winter really uh in good shape and there are some opportunities to get off the beaten path on some of these general areas for non-residents where you could get a, a good respectable buck you know that might score 180 or even even higher with some luck for sure um randy i want to put you uh, one last question i want to put you on the spot a little bit um utah has conservation permits and you've been doing this a long time and there's uh as an outsider i'm i'm from arizona so i'm i'm not quote unquote involved in the fight so to speak but there's there's a whole group of people that live in Utah that are very, very anti-conservation tags. And then there's a whole group of hunters that are, you know, totally supportive and, and think the idea of conservation tags um, are, are, are a huge positive or they believe that the, the benefits far outweigh the negative. From an outsider getting to hunt the beaver unit last year for elk and getting to see the quality of hunting that you guys have there and the habitat work and um, you know I know there's there's two sides to to the spectrum but I'm just curious where you see the positives of conservation tags that maybe people. I mean, where is the beef? Is the beef the fact that maybe there's not 100% transparency where all of the money goes? Or I, I just don't quite understand it if, if, if it's not taking tags out of the general pop, populace um, and it's adding millions of dollars that, that the wildlife officials and some of these nonprofit groups can use to make wildlife and make our hunting better. I, I just don't, I, I, I guess I don't understand it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, uh, in hunting, 
it seems like there are politics in hunting also. You always have uh, two sides on, on all the issues. And uh, as long as we have a healthy population of animals, which right now Utah is doing very well, I'm totally supportive of the conservation tags because of the money that it generates that is going back into increasing our herds, whether that be desert sheep or deer or elk. And as long as there is transparency uh, by our division and by the governor and other politicians and other hunting groups of where that money and how it's being used. And I've seen that transparency in the past and I've liked how that money is being spent. And I think it has made a great difference uh, in the quality of big game populations here in this state. Uh, I, I think sometimes hunters on the other side feel like those conservation tags are only going to those who have the most money. And in a lot of instances, that's very true. But in Utah, we do give out, we do draw for sportsman tags. And whoever is fortunate enough to draw a sportsman tag uh, can still go hunt the same dates as a conservation tag hunter. And so, uh, there's pluses on one side and I guess there's some minuses on the other side, but right now, at least in my opinion, until someone changes my mind, the pluses on the positive side outweigh the minuses. And what you said earlier uh, is very true. If there's transparency and people can see where that money is going and, and how it's benefiting those big game herds, then I think they, uh, and, instead of complaining, they should took a, take a closer look at supporting that. But there's always, there's always two sides to every issue, and there always will be. Yeah, uh, well said. Well said. Well, Randy, I really appreciate you spending time with us here today. And I want to give you a chance uh, to let the listeners uh, you know, come find you, come talk to you. Uh, so would you let them know where they can reach you, uh, where they can see uh, your content, and uh, just appreciate uh, the ambassador that you are for our sport uh, and our heritage and our traditions. And um, uh, it's just, uh, like I said, it's always uh, makes me smile to get an email from you, getting a recap of, of some hunt or another. And I just appreciate you uh, on on more levels than you would know. Um, so please give our listeners away. I, I assume it's HighDesertWildSheepGuides.com, uh, but I'll let you take it from there. Uh, that is my website, and on that website uh, there is a link where if, if you want to be added to my personal hunters listserv, uh, you could send me your email and. I'd be glad to put you on there. If you want to uh, contact me uh, personally and talk to me on the phone, you can call me at 435-590-8139. And I always return calls or texts. Uh, sometimes I'm out in the far reaches where I don't have any cell coverage, but 
I do get back to people. I'm not someone who doesn't return a call or, or return a text. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm anxious to watch uh, your photos on Instagram. I know uh, you're going to be out hiking and doing your thing here uh, as the summer, as we get, get into summer here. So um, uh, until I see you next time, buddy, God bless. And thanks for spending time here with us. Thank you. Have a great evening. Bye. Okay. Bye.